Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Ted Rice. Ted is a fitness expert, a high performance health coach, and the host of the Legendary Life podcast. He helps his clients develop and stick with high performance habits that help them manage stress and adversity and lead more successful lives. He's worked with Fortune 500 CEOs and celebrities, including Richard Branson, Ricky Martin, and Robert Downey Jr. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Ted. It's my pleasure, Chris. Really excited to be here and looking forward to what we're going to get into today. Awesome. Can you tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into what you're doing and, and sort of what you're working on now? Sure. So like you mentioned, uh, I've been a health and fitness professional for a long time, nearly two decades now. I've worked with CEOs and celebrities, and I've had this very uh, fortunate and, and just amazing life helping people get in better shape and also tackle things beyond just their what they were doing in their gym, like their health and even delving into the mindset. But the way I got into all that is it doesn't sound as impressive. In fact, it was through a lot of tragedy that led me down this road. And it's kind of interesting with a lot of health and fitness professionals. The typical story is that someone was an athlete in high school and college and maybe they couldn't make it into the pros. So they just became a coach, a trainer instead and help people in that way, and that's awesome. But that was never my story. So my story was I was the rebel in school. I had a lot of adversity at home. My parents uh, were both attorneys, and they drank too much. It was a really tough situation, and I was a rebel. I got into a lot of trouble, including trouble with the law, and I did terrible in school. I was always a smart kid. I, I scored well on the test. But uh, it did reflect in my grades in school and definitely not in my effort there. I, I just really didn't like the structure. I didn't like authority. And, uh, and it didn't serve me that well in those days. But as I started to get out of that time, um, you know, I started to pull my act together. After I got into college, I started thinking, oh, wow, I love how I could just choose the classes that I want. And I was very fascinated about uh, scientific areas, especially neuroscience. And I, I didn't even know you could become a, a fitness professional. But when I was 19 years old, something happened that completely transformed my life and really changed the direction of my life in, in a way that I could have never foreseen. And when I was 19, my nine-year-old brother was kidnapped and murdered. And it was more than just this terrible tragedy. That was one thing. But it also became big news. It was national news. My parents ended up going on Oprah. They met with both Bill Clinton and then later on uh, George Bush as a result of what had happened with my brother it was a whole thing with the, they ended up catching the killer. It, it had been a thing for, for decades. And if you ask anybody who lived in Miami during that time, they all know my brother's name, Jimmy Rice. And why I'm saying that is because that was the moment that 
crush me and sit me down this road where I didn't know what I want to do with my life, what I could do with my life. And the long story short is that I ended up finding my way into the fitness business really in a serendipitous way because uh, I met some personal trainers in a building that I was working with when I was doing odd jobs, trying to put my life back together. And I was just blown away that these guys were working with clients, showing up in tank tops and in Nikes and, and getting people in shape and getting paid really well for it. And that's what really started my career. It started my healing journey. It started, that was the spark of everything that I do now with Legendary Life. Wow. How did these things help the healing process for you? Yeah, it's a great question, right? And of course, this is looking back. I didn't, I wasn't thinking that way at the time when I was 19 years old. But what I learned through my studies is that Whenever you, and we can talk about the mindset stuff too, because I believe that's super important, but it just in terms of physiology and how our health impacts our psychology, because they both, it goes both ways. Our psychology affects our health, our physiological health affects our psychology. But what I learned was that these events that happen into, that happen in our life. Now, for me, it was, my brother being kidnapped and murdered or something that very few people will ever experience. And, and thankfully that's the case, but it may be a divorce for you. It may be a bad breakup. In fact, uh, I was reading some of the statistics on suicide after Anthony Bourdain took his life. Uh, and also my, I've got another story where my sister committed suicide. I don't know if you know that part or want to go down into it, but it, his suicide really brought some things up for me. And I learned that a lot of people, in fact, uh, one, of, one of the triggers for people with depression and committing suicide has to do with relationship issues, a loss of a relationship in particular. So these are big things. And these are the things that many of us, if not all of us, I mean, every single person is going to experience a breakup. Hopefully not all of us will experience the divorce. But the point is, we're always going to be faced with these adversities that come up in life. And while they're happening, it's not just a psychological process. It's not just, oh, I feel really bad. I cry a lot. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm, you know, experiencing these psychological symptoms. It changes our physiology, especially when sleep becomes involved, especially when you become sleep deprived. There is so much science uh, that, that we can look into or, or even talk about that shows this direct connection. So what I'm getting at is that all, we have the power to influence the way we feel through our physiology. And when those tragedies happen, you could just think of it like stress to the body, but not like the stress of getting cut off on your way to work, somebody cuts you off in the car, or maybe your your boss is putting pressure on you about it, some deadline at work. This is like in a tremendous overload of stress. And we can, so we can kind of take a step back and just look at it more objectively and say, well, how do you handle stress? How do you handle when you're overloaded with stress? Well, what do you need to do? And that's what I ended up learning. 
and you can make yourself more stress resistant. You can do things that calm your stress response. And those are the things that I started learning. Meditation, uh, making sure you're getting the right nutrients from your food, making sure that you're sleeping well, making sure that all of your exercise isn't so high intensity, making sure that you're doing some things that are actually more restorative that uh, initiate a, a calming response, like doing aerobic exercise versus weight training. Aerobic exercise is going to calm down your stress response. It's going to calm down inflammation while doing high intensity interval training or lifting heavy weights. Those things kind of jack you up. They release adrenaline and have all these other types of effects, which are good. But if you add that onto what you're going through, if you're going through a tough time, uh, you really have to learn how to balance the amount of stress in your life. And when something is spilling over, when it's becoming too much, you need to have tools, strategies, techniques to put yourself back into balance. And that's what I learned. And for people who are listening to this, um, I think the connection you're making to Bourdain is uh, that he found out that his girlfriend was cheating on him right before he killed himself. Is that the reference you're making? Yeah, you know, I, I did not know that part. Um, but now that you mention it, it makes so much sense. I mean, I, no one knows why he killed himself, but I had read that he'd seen pictures of his girlfriend uh, with another guy, paparazzi photos, or they were released like hours before he killed himself. So there's sort of like, nobody knows what was going through his mind, but there's probably a correlation. Going back to sort of the things that that you're saying, like, I mean, there are people who are listening to this who just went through a breakup or they've had a death in the family or they have, they're way overwhelmed with the things that they have going on in their life. I definitely have had moments where I've, I've been broken by stress because I just had too much going on and didn't really have sustainable systems. That's a big motto of mine. I have constantly talking everyone around me laughs about it, about building engineering sustainable systems. If you get a client and they are under an immense amount of stress they're feeling hopeless. How do you use your coaching, the things that you've learned to sort of walk them into a healthier place? Well, with coaching clients, I, I go through a process and it's really client-centered coaching. It's not me sitting them down and giving them a pep talk about, you know, stepping up in life. Uh, but it, it, so it's a coaching process and it has to do with the individual. But one of the things that I like to share with people because People always wonder about my story, you know, I, like I mentioned with my brother and I talked about my sister's suicide. I, I also lost my mother when I was uh, 14, which kind of triggered all those, uh, all that troublemaking I got into before I made it into college. And the thing that I think so many of us in modern life with the way we come up where it's like if you're from the typical American family or even Canadian or in the UK or Australian, you're born, you got to start going to school as soon as you're ready. You get good grades because then you get into high school and then you need to get good grades. So you pass so you go to college and you need to get good grades so you get a good job and then you need to work hard in your job. And we just have this thing that we do and we expect that everything's going to go so smoothly or but the truth is that it's a very manufactured sort of artificial lifestyle that we lead and combine that with the culture 
and the 21st century ideals that we have, we get rocked to our core when something unexpected happens. And it's something that I see over and over again. I'll give you an, a, a great example is that all of us right now will live. I mean, if things go the way they should, all of us right now are going to live to see our parents die because that's how life is, right? Our parents are much older and we all have an expiration date and they're supposed to pass before you and you're supposed to live through that process and your children will go through the same thing. And I've seen people get crushed when that happens and their parents were in their 80s or 90s. And what I'm sure what I'm getting at here is that you need to start looking at life for what it is and starting and start to expect adversity as normal, as part of the experience of life. You need to expect it. And I don't mean that in a pessimistic way where, oh, God, you know, life is so horrible. I, I, that's completely not true in the wrong way of looking at things. But because uh, we're living in the most exciting time, most amazing time in human history ever. But you need to understand that things happen. and things will happen to you. And you need to be ready for that. And you need to be accepting of it, accepting that this is part of the deal. It's part of this gift that we have called life. And you don't want to let the highs get too high. You don't want to let the lows get too low. And so that's that's one thing I take people through. And the, the second thing that I think is really important is when something bad does happen, a breakup, a death in the family, whatever it is, uh, we start to throw a pity party for ourselves. The whole world just fades away and all that's left is us focusing on the immediacy of this situation that we're in. And all we want to know is why me? Why is this happening to me? Why is this going wrong? And while I think, uh, I mean, I've thrown plenty of pity parties myself, and I think there is that grieving process that we need to work through. But as soon as you're able to, you need to shift to a problem-solving approach. And instead of wondering like, oh, well, you know, how, things are so bad. Why did this happen to me? It's like, well, what is the next step here? Where's the opportunity in the obstacle? Where, where, What can I learn from? What can I fix? How can I use this to propel me forward in my life? And those are two big things that I think can serve people and that I've seen work for people, especially if we're talking about, you know, your typical people like you and I living our, our modern lives. A couple of things came to mind as you were saying that it's sort of lessons that I learned from life. One is trying to, and they're along sort of the same, same lines. One is trying to give myself the bandwidth so that I'm prepared. If something happens, there's a catastrophe in my life. There's some, something unexpected does happen. I mean, you can sort of expect the unexpected to a certain extent. Every once in a while, you get a tsunami that's so big that it crushes even uh, your preparation, right? There's like, it's just so overwhelming. And and when that happens, you just have to deal with it. But giving myself a bandwidth, a cushion, whether it's time or money or whatever, uh, in order to anticipate when some of these things happen, and because they will happen, as you said, that's a great point. The example of your parents dying, 
and people being crushed by that. I've had my father died when I was pretty young. Uh, I was in my early 20s and there's people listening to this who never had fathers. So I understand that for me, that was a huge advantage, but it was, it was definitely a shock and it was, had a huge impact on my life, but trying to sort of, but understand that death is part of life and it's going to happen. And sometimes I look on Facebook and realize all these people are going to die and, uh, this is getting kind of dark, but, uh, but all these people are going to die. And so death is, is a normal part of life. And I think, I think that's a very important point. And it doesn't have to be dark, Chris. It's, the Stoics from ancient Greece used to meditate on that and used it as, or ammunition, if you will, to make sure that you get the most out of life. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great point. I had a buddy of mine who, who I used to run. I, I wasn't running as much as I do now. And I told him, yeah, I, I should run more. And he goes, you should run as much as you can. And I said, why is that? And he goes, because there'll be a time when you can no longer do it. And it's consistent with the idea that like time does expire. So I think that's a, a really good point. The second thing I think that's really important to mention, and it's been a great lesson f- for me, is that adversity is just part of life. Some of us have more of it than others, but no one's exempt from it. And it's in that adversity that, that I've learned that I found a lot of meaning. I just want to sh- sort of share those two things, because I think it, going back to that pity party, we all throw them for ourselves. But I think it's important for people to realize that they're listening to this. I mean, this is something that I picked up. It's been helpful is that, yeah, I'm, I'm not exempt from adversity. That is just part of life. And, and it's through those struggles that I find meaning uh, and I grow and I learn. And, and I think that's, it's been important for me to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, w- I want to address something that you said because you, you mentioned, oh man, things are, things, it's kind of going dark. And what I want to tell you is, it's so interesting because that's not the case. As I mentioned before, we're living in the most incredible time in human history ever. If you're listening to this right now, you have no idea how lucky you are. You're living better than the kings and queens of old emperors of passive civilizations. You have basically the access to not all the knowledge in the world, but the majority of knowledge in the world in your hand, in your phone. You can hop on a plane and travel anywhere around the world. Like I've been traveling around Asia for the past few months. You're living in an incredible time. And it gets hard to think like that. And because we're so bombarded by messages in the media. And I think we're in this interesting time where we have so much access to information, uh, and when things happen, we know about them right away on Twitter, on Facebook. Someone posts about it on Instagram. And we start to lose sight of the fact that we're living in this incredible time. And people are so worried about, like, I was just reviewing some stress uh, statistics from the U.S. Uh, because the U.S. I, I say the U.S. because we do a lot of the statistics there. We, we really put out a lot of statistics and do a lot of re- research uh, but it really applies to every modernized country. And people are, are freaked out about the political situation. They're freaked out about money. They're freaked out about the direction of their country. And uh, really the answer to all that is to get to work on yourself and take a break from all the uh, the digital media that we're, we're consuming. You know, it's we're we're, <laughs> we're in such an interesting time where. If you get too distracted 
by all the hype, all the Facebook uh, arguments and the Twitter rages, you're going to miss your opportunities to really experience something that nobody in the past has ever been able to experience before. Absolutely. Great point. If somebody is in a state, because I think this is a really common problem, this conversation that comes up a lot amongst friends. If somebody is consuming a lot of media and, and it's got them into a funk, what are some of the things that they can do to sort of get out of it? Well, detox. I mean, we know there's research showing the more that you're on Facebook, the more depressed you are. You're scroll, even if you're, you maybe you don't care about politics. Maybe you're just scrolling through the feed and looking at your friend from high school who seems to be killing it because the only posts he puts up are him like doing these amazing things. Or even me, I, like I said, I'm traveling the world right now. I put up photos of me, like I've been in Phuket, Thailand. I, I put up a photo of me at the beach and I'm doing all these things, but it, those are just snapshots in my life. They're not like I talked to you before I uh, hopped on and we started recording. You know, I had a, a, a very bad back injury where this Thai massage girl stepped on my back and really uh, aggravated a disc injury that I had at the end of 2016. So I've been basically doing physical therapy for myself to get myself back uh, to even walking and standing. And uh, so the point is do a detox, get away from that stuff, get outside. In fact, we know that I mean, there's so much research on this. We don't even have to rely on like, oh, what should we do? We're not sure what to do here. We, we, we have objective data, and I love objective data because uh, the emotion, when the emotions take over, it's really hard to think clearly. But if you have that data, it's like, well, the research says get the hell off the social media. You know what the research also says? Get some exercise. Get some sun, direct sun exposure to synthesize vitamin D to get your vitamin D levels up because vitamin D is correlated with uh, your, your mental health and with your energy levels, with testosterone production. Make sure you get out in nature. There's a whole thing called forest bathing and all this research about the beneficial stress-reducing effects of, of spending time in nature. Uh, go take a sauna. There's all this amazing research coming out on, on saunas infrared or otherwise that uh, it can help with dementia it can help with heart health it can help with pain it can i mean there's just we know what to do those are just some of the things but you gotta the real problem i think is people don't take action they're not motivated to do it or perhaps they're motivated but they don't have a coach to guide them along the way and that's where coaching can be so beneficial because Instead of using that mental bandwidth to decide, okay, well, should I, what should I do here? Should I go forest bathing or a sauna? Should I drive down and go to, like, you need someone to put together something for you so you just do it and you don't have to think about it. And that's what I tell a lot of people. Stop becoming an online fitness or health or stress reduction researcher. Just hire an expert to do it and then follow the plan or like what you guys do. Um, I looked over some of your programs, it's amazing. Instead of reading books about how to develop charisma and communication skills, go take a course. It, it is, you know, the, the amount of resources, like I'll, I'll keep returning to this over and over again. We're living in the most amazing time ever where there's someone who's figured out the solution to your, to your problem. 
And there's probably a lot of people who have. And it's just to you, up to you to kind of find those people because it's a bit hard to sort through uh, the nonsense, the hucksters, the, the liars, uh, the marketers. But once you find them, take action. It's going to invest in your life, invest in yourself. You're not going to even be able to recognize, people won't recognize you just a few months later after you've been investing yourself and you've been taking the action that you need to to step your step your game up in your life. I think it's an interesting point. I mean, for for my own life, one of the things that I've realized is that I just can't learn everything, and uh, I'm a person who has an intensely curious mind, and I will try to learn about everything I possibly come in contact with, and and I'm constantly having to put the brakes on things because there's only so much that I can learn, right? And and even for I mean, I don't mind if our clients, I tell them to go out and re- read as many books as, as they possibly can get their hands on and come in and ask questions and go out and get experiences. I, I want them to get that outside stimulus. I want them to challenge our coaching and, and ask me questions and come with different perspectives. It makes me better, better as a coach, but it, it keeps me engaged. But it, more importantly, it keeps them engaged. And I think that's really important. So I'm actually a, a huge advocate of that, but I also have come to realize that in my own life that I don't have the capacity to really master everything. And there are times when I need guidance and our clients find the same thing with us, right? There's things that I can solve for somebody in seconds that they might never, never see. And those things might have a massive difference or massive impact on the quality of their life and relationships. And so I totally see where you're going with that. There's a bunch of things that you said earlier on the podcast that I liked and and they're things that I found that are important for me, right? Like you talked about quality sleep. I found that when, and I didn't know this for months uh, in New York city, there's lights everywhere and I didn't have blackout curtains. And once I added blackout curtains, I no longer had street lights bleeding into my room. And the consequence of that was I woke up and stopped having migraines and I didn't even realize what was happening. I just knew that my head sort of hurt in the morning and I would take an ibuprofen and I never really had to take them but I was starting to take them on a regular basis. This went on for six to nine months and I realized I needed a blackout curtain. So it was an issue of quality sleep. Uh, that was a, having a huge impact on, I, I think, my stress levels throughout the day and definitely had a huge impact on my day because waking up in the morning feeling tired and groggy and with a headache is not a great way to start a day. Something else I've learned, and you kind of talked about this earlier, when I'm under a lot of stress, the first thing I do is or my life seems out of whack it doesn't matter what else is going on the first thing i do is i change my diet try to eat healthier foods and try to set up an exercise routine essentially what i'm saying is I'm, i go back to to basics if i find that i'm isolating myself which i i can do as an entrepreneur i try to make sure that i have things th- that are going on in my life where i'm interacting with people in a regular basis and i'm not talking about just going to the bar i had a Someone called me the other day and they said, well, I'm, I'm now going out to the, the clubs four nights a week and, and I'm practicing meeting people. I'm like, well, I mean, that's okay. In fact, but I would probably cut it back and I would find a couple different groups where you see the same people over and over and I would do the, those at least twice a week. Get into some situation where you're in consistent contact with people. So it's like you have your own tribe. Um, so, I mean, these are all things that I've learned. I'm curious what your experience is with these things. You sort of touched on them. I wanted to go a little bit deeper into them. Are, are these things that you found that are consistent for yourself? Uh, are there some other things that 
come to mind when I bring up some of these as sort of foundations for when you're trying to get yourself into a healthier place and work through stress? Yeah, absolutely. And everything I've mentioned is, is on point. I mean, going back to basics and, uh, you know, exercise, nutrition, sleep, stress management, the four basic pillars. And I'd even add that fifth one in. We can even talk about this because some incredible research is coming up out about the people we spend time with or our community, um, social interaction. And on the other side of that, social isolation. And it's so funny because everybody's so focused on nutrition and exercise uh, for living longer and, you know, feeling better. But the research on social, social isolation, uh, in particular, people who feel lonely, uh, it's just really powerful. It can, it's actually toxic for you on the cellular level. And that's not, uh, some, you know, Eastern chakra energy medicine type of pseudoscientific stuff. There's researchers actually putting out paper after paper on this stuff. Uh, but to answer your question, what, it's a great one. What should you start with if you're going through something tough. And I'm happy to dive into specifics on any of these if you want. I would love that. Okay. So the first thing I would say is exercise. And I tell you why. Eating that broccoli and chicken breast, that's not going to affect your mood that much, right? For nutrition to really kick in, it takes numerous meals. You're not going to feel bad and then Hey, I just ate a kale salad with some edamame and things are going to be better for you. So the first thing you should do is exercise. Why? Because it has an immediate effect. You can feel like the world is crashing in on you, like everything's going wrong for you, but you hit a workout, especially something that is challenging. So we're not talking about a walk here. We're talking about, you know, lifting some weights or you, if you want to try something that will really challenge you, try a martial arts class. Uh, you got to watch out for injuries if you have some injuries, but something like Muay Thai or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, everything that you're currently focused on in your mind that you just can't seem to get out of your mind, it'll all go away. And nothing externally changed, but something internally has. And that's the power of exercise. And that's what I tell people to focus on first. If you're going through a tough time, if you need something instant, exercise can do that for you. Within minutes, you're going to be feeling better. Within uh, the hour, you're going to be feeling a lot better. And again, nothing changed externally, but the changes that happen, you know, the increased blood flow, all the things that happen in your brain, the BDNF, the, the hormones, the adrenaline, the norepinephrine, those things are going to make you feel different right away. The second thing I would say is focus on sleep. You made some really important observations. You said, you know, I, I just feel like I'm more stressed. And you, you even connected uh, the, the light that was disrupting your sleep from your place in New York with these migraines. So what I tell people is there's no supplement you can take. There's no diet you can follow. There's no workout you can do that can make up for quality sleep. So focus on your sleep. Well, how do you do that? Well, um, the first thing is try to go to bed and wake up at the same time. Now, it doesn't have to be exact, but within, say, an hour or so. If, because if you're, oh, well, I'm 
in bed at 10 one night, then I stay up till three the next night, and then the next night I'm going to bed at midnight. If you have that type of schedule, it's gonna mess with your circadian rhythms, your internal clock, and you're just never gonna feel quite right. That's why you can't travel through time zones and just show up to your new place and just go to bed when it gets dark there, you know, you're wide awake, right? If you cross enough time zones, it's because our body knows what time it is based on the light that you get and also when you go to sleep and when you wake up. So dial that in. Another thing is something that you mentioned, Chris, is that get blackout blinds, okay? <laughs> the electric light is hasn't been around even 200 years, okay? It's a new thing. Before that, we used torches and lamps and, you know, we used flames. And before that, we didn't even have any of those things. Those are all newer in, inventions, right? Those are newer inventions in the uh, 200 to 300,000 uh, years of, of modern human history. So what you need to do is you want to approximate those conditions as much as you can and getting rid of the light in your room. That just, that includes the light coming in to your room from outside the ambient light, but it also includes the things inside. So if you've got a lot of digital devices that have little lights on them, get some uh, some black electrical tape uh, and and block those things out. And, and I want to say specifically for this, some people are more sensitive to light than others. Some people, they don't have that big of a problem. So it may not be necessary, but if you are having sleep issues, I want you to test everything that I'm telling you now, and then you can figure out, okay, well, what makes the biggest difference for me? So another thing that you can do is keep your room cool. So about... Uh, 68, 69 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I forget what that is, Celsius, probably around like 18 or 19. Um, keep your room cool. One of the biggest issues, especially with people who have insomnia or uh, trouble falling asleep, is that our bodies literally run too hot. And they did some interesting research where they gave people a cold, uh, head cap to cool down their brains, literally cool down their brains, and they fall asleep much faster. So if you're in a hot environment, experiment with colder temperatures, see what works for you. If it's too cold, you might be shivering all night and it's too uncomfortable, it's going to involve some tweaking. But again, colder temperatures are going to help put you uh, to sleep much faster, and you'll also get into sleep much deeper. Another thing to focus on, especially if, like you, Chris, you live in New York, if you're in a, a busy city that's very loud and there's a lot of noise pollution, invest in, if you have the money, soundproof your bedroom. If you don't have the money to do that, then invest in a, a, a white noise machine. Like uh, there's something that I used when I was in New Orleans in, in the French Quarter, which was super crazy all night long which was called the electrofan, not with an E, it's called uh, just electrofan. That was something that I found useful. Um, and also find a good uh, a pair of earplugs. Another thing you can do is uh, if you are someone who tends to be working late at night on your devices, and this is something you'll hear a lot of people who talk about sleep talk about, uh, they say, hey, stay off your devices and 
So what people end up doing is they turn on their lights and read a book instead. That isn't really good advice because the light that you're going to turn on, okay, yeah, you're not on your device, but you're, you're blasting yourself with blue light. Blue light, we know, disrupts melatonin secretion in your brain. Melatonin is the thing that helps you go to sleep and stay to sleep and get great quality sleep. So if you're going to be a person who's on your devices or reading or whatever, invest in some blue light blocking glasses. Uh, and if you're a per, uh, carbon shades is a good brand, but there's many, um, just make sure they're the good quality ones, not the $10 ones. Those, they don't really block out all the blue light investing good quality ones. Uh, another thing that you should do, and this is completely free is download F dot Lux that you can put on your computer. Uh, you, you sync it with your time zone as the sun starts to go down that the software starts to shift the blue light, sh the shades of light on your computer, the spectrums of light rather to uh, less blue and more red, which will disrupt your sleep less. So that's something you can do as well. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, there's other things you can do with sleep. Uh, three, taking three grams of glycine before you go to bed, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, if we want to talk about supplementation, but three grams of glycine, a lot of research has been done on that. Uh, glycine is the most, the simplest amino acid. And it is, uh, something that most of us are deficient in, especially if you eat a lot of, if you eat a lot of meat, especially if it's all the meat that everybody tells us to eat, the lean, the, the, the boneless, skinless chicken breast, the lean red meats, you get too much methionine and not enough glycine. And um, that can cause real issues with anxiety, with, uh, with sleep, and also even with joint problems with uh, collagen in your joints and in your skin. Um, but specifically with, with sleep, taking three grams of glycine doesn't have to be fancy. You can get the bulk glycine. And uh, I, I could keep going, but I think that's a lot. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma Live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. Well, you, you talked about exercise and sleep. What are some other things that you think are sort of foundational for health and for sort of stress management or stress prevention? Yeah. Uh, 
Well, with exercise, aerobic exercise has been found to reduce stress. So it, so you have flight or fight response, right? That's everybody's experienced that, right? So it cuts you off in traffic. So when busts your balls at work, something happens that just brings up that, ugh, or a car comes too close while you're on the corner. That's your fight or flight response. That's your stress response. Well, you, that's part of one system, uh, called your autonomic nervous system. The other part is called, uh, uh, your rest and digest system. And so you have that fight or flight and then you have your rest and digest. Okay. And, and people who are interested, it, those are two different branches of your autonomic nervous system. So what you're asking is how do we stimulate, how do we calm down that sympathetic side and stimulate that parasympathetic side? So we start to get some stress reduction. Well, sleep, aerobic exercise is another thing. Um, I think a lot of people now, especially if you look at what's hot in the exercise world, it's high intensity interval training. It's lifting heavy weights. And what we found is that doing aerobic exercise, so something that you can maintain for say 20, 30, 40, even up to an hour, keeping your heart rate, and this differs from individual to individual, but keeping your heart rate in the 120 to 140 beats per minute range, that's going to help you lower inflammation, help calm that stress response. It's going to help lower your blood pressure. It's going to help your heart gets stronger. It's going to improve your circulation because, uh, you know, the part of your heart that gets strengthened by that particular type of exercise is going to be able to circulate more blood. Uh, meditation is another one. If you haven't tried meditation or more specifically, if you're a person who thinks about meditation and says, that is definitely not for me, then you are exactly the type of person who needs to meditate because I'll tell you, uh, Chris, I love lifting heavy weights. I love martial arts. I like, I, I want to jump out of a plane. I do crazy stuff. I love it. I love the rush. But the problem is people like that burn out and I, and get injured or overtrained. So, um, we need something to, again, stimulate that rest and digest side. And meditation is a way to do that. I've been, I've done, I've done a bunch of different meditations. I've done some meditation training here in uh, Thailand. Uh, it's a predominantly Buddhist country. So they're really big into, uh, in, into meditation, but mostly I just use headspace and I found it to be very helpful. And I put over 7,000 minutes on it. And I know it because headspace lets me know exactly how many minutes I've, I've tried. So if you haven't, if you're a person who, again, doesn't, feel like meditation is for them, you are exactly the type of person who needs meditation. You could try yoga class too, uh, the deep breathing. You could try box breathing where you inhale for five seconds, hold it for five seconds, exhale for five seconds, and hold that for five seconds, and you repeat. That has a calming effect on your nervous system. Um, those are some of the other things. Also, experiences where... We've talked a little bit about being in nature, so that can help as well. Um, those are, those are basically the big ones. There's always like some ways to tweak your, uh, supplementation to help, but those I think are very practical ways that everybody, uh, listening can, can put into action. 
Now, these are all great tips. Uh, two things come to my, my mind. One is, the first one was, you talked about exercise. One of the first things you brought up was doing martial arts class. And I thought that was really interesting because it made me think about the benefits of individual exercise versus group exercise, right? There's probably some advantages and disadvantages of both. Can you talk about those? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at CrossFit, one of the reasons that it's been so successful is because it fosters that community. So you're not a person who goes to an exercise class. You belong to a community of CrossFitters. And I don't love CrossFit. I don't hate it either. I think there's way better ways to to apply stress to your body. But I have to respect and appreciate the community that they built. Um, and the same thing happens with martial arts classes too, because there's something that happens when you're with a group of people, you're all working towards a common goal. You're all there to get better, to get in shape or, you know, to compete or whatever it is. And uh, there's something really powerful about that. The bonds that you build. In fact, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, the company you keep has a powerful impact on your inflammation levels, whether you get depressed or not, powerful effects. Now, the issue can be uh, that someone, and this this is something that happens a lot. So I have people who do all, all coaching clients who've done all types of things. So let's say you're a person, you're like, man, I just love group exercise. In fact, a lot of women love group exercise. And this is the hardest uh, group I have to deal with sometimes, but you're not going to get as good of a workout if you're doing a, a general group workout. Now, it may be good enough, but for people who are looking for specific goals, like I want to transform my body, I want to build muscle and burn fat and look a particular way, that's probably not going to happen for you in a group exercise format. You're not going to be challenged. Some things you, you may be challenged too much. Other things you're not challenged enough. And maybe a third, or I'm just making this up, but maybe only, only a small part is going to give you the right amount of challenge for you. And that's with every group situation. And I'm sure you, I'm sure you see the same thing when you work with groups of people, Chris. Certain people have limitations that they need to work on. Other people have strengths where they're, you're just, you know, going over something they don't really need to work on. Same thing happens with exercise. So that's kind of the, the drawback of uh, group exercise. And uh, also, I'll say another thing. A lot of people get injured in group exercise, uh, especially if there's the competitive nature. And really interesting on competition, it drives up testosterone levels. It's, it's uh, very interesting. So um, people, especially if you're one of those people really feels it and, and you and you get a little bit better and you really feel like you can compete, you it drives performance levels, drives testosterone levels. It feels great, in other words. But if you're a person with some joint injuries, you're <laughs> you may have issues. I've had a lot of clients from CrossFit classes, a guy who blew out his shoulder uh doing like two hundred trying to do two hundred pull-ups in one of the workouts. Uh, I've had uh, another uh, client, a female, blow out her knee, um, you know, trying to keep up with the workouts. I've had other clients who, you know, they were trying something 
uh, one of the other group exercise classes and they just kept getting injured over and over and over. And I had to restructure, I had to put them on a program that specifically dealt with their issues, their limitations and their weaknesses to make them stronger to where they could get back to exercising. Um, and some of them were able to return to group exercise, but some people are too beat up or, uh, you know, they're just not ever going to get back there. So they're going to find, they're going to need to find something else to do that with. And I, the, the last thing I want to say about that is, yeah, it's awesome. You know, the camaraderie you develop in, in group exercise. But if you're getting injured, if it's wrecking you, find a way to get your, your social, uh, experience somewhere else. Don't wreck your body. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have to stop doing it eventually. And then what happens? You get depressed. And all those friends who you used to have, they're going to forget about you after a while because, hey, you're not part of the group anymore. You're not doing it. So find something that you can be a part of. And other things that I've recommended are doing comedy improv classes or going scuba diving groups or, you know, there's just so many things out there. You don't necessarily have to mix your exercise and your uh, you know, your social experience, although for some people it works. I think it's a really interesting point. A few things came to mind while you were talking. One is this idea of people being injured in group exercises. You mentioned martial arts and uh, what was the other thing you mentioned? Martial arts and I can't remember what the, the, oh, CrossFit. But as far as group exercises, I mean, somebody can join a a rec league, a baseball team, they could play basketball, they could join a football team, they could join soccer. A lot of these sports that we play when we're younger and we get older and people sort of step away from them. And maybe someone's probably not going to join a tackle football team in their fifties, but <laughs> there are, there are a lot of different opportunities for team exercise. I, I just wanted to say that the second thing about being injured in team exercise, I think it's a really interesting point. And as you were talking, I thought about NBA players, right? An NBA player hurts a hamstring or ruptures their, their Achilles tendon or they, they have some other type of injury. Sometimes these players take an entire year of essentially working out by themselves to recover from that exercise and get into group exercise again. And that's right. Yeah. And so as you were talking, I was thinking it's funny because I know recently I was at the gym and we talked before the podcast and I told you I'm a really active guy, but at this point I'm sort of getting back in shape because I uh, had crashed my skateboard about seven months ago and my wrist still hurts. Um, it was a pretty bad injury for up until about a month and a half ago, I couldn't do a push up, And so you put your hand down when you went down, right? Yeah. And I don't know exactly what happened. I got two sets of x-rays. The doctor told me, He's like, you know, uh, your hand's not broken. Both, both times he said my hand wasn't broken. And then I went to an expert and had an expert look at it because it, I was in so much pain. I could barely open and close my hand. I couldn't turn. It hurt just for my hand to be in a resting position while I lied in bed. And uh, he said, well, I'll come back in a month. And that would have been probably two months in, a month and a half in. And we'll do some other scans and see if you tore a ligament or cartilage um, or a tendon. He goes, uh, hopefully this will just heal on its own. And it started feeling better after about a month. And so I just said, well, you know, I'll let it heal naturally after talking to another friend who is a doctor. And it, it definitely is. I think it might take, I've, I've done some research online. Sometimes these injuries take a while to heal. But what I, where I was going with this is I, I was at the gym 
And for about a month now, I've been working out pretty consistently. And this girl tells me, I'm sitting next to her getting a smoothie after my workout. She starts talking to me, says, you should join our CrossFit gym. And I thought, if I did CrossFit right now, I would hurt myself. Absolutely. (laughs) I, I would hurt myself and I would probably be out another six months. So I'm like, in maybe three months, I will be in a good enough shape if I do this consistently that I might be able to do CrossFit. But that's come with maturity because when I was younger, I would have been like, fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and then I would have hurt myself. <laughs> and so I guess what I'm getting at is somebody who's listening to this and they are interested in doing a team activity. It's okay to spend some time, spend two, three, four months either on your own or working with a trainer, getting into great shape so that you can, it might even take longer. It might take you a year. Um, I have a friend of mine who got into the special forces and it took him, he tried out and didn't get in. It took him an entire year to get into the type of condition where he could compete in the group activities that were involved with Hell Week and and sort of these other intense group workouts. So give yourself the time in order to to get in shape. That that's uh, something I, I wanted to mention because it's something I've learned over the course of my life, and it's been a very valuable lesson because I would hurt myself from pushing myself too hard when I got in that that sort of competitive environment um hey i've done the same thing way too many times way too many times so that's one thing i want to mention um i also wanted to mention i already did uh, the idea that there's a bunch of different types of group exercises that you could do and if one of them is too intense if tackle football is too intense for you at whatever age or place you are in life it doesn't make sense there's other stuff you could do you could join a group running a running organization or you could work out with a trainer so you have somebody else to work out with or work out with a buddy there are different types of group activities uh, that you can do even if whatever is that you used to do is a little bit too intense the next thing i want to mention was this idea of social exercise and i think that's a great point the benefit in my experience of working out individually is oftentimes i'm more productive and i can be more specialized when i'm in a group environment i get different people's insights it feels more motivating. Working out becomes more social and less of, at times, a burden or a chore. So I've noticed those are sort of like my opportunity cost. But I think that's a great point that you can get the social, your social needs met in other places. And I sort of wanted to move into that. You kind of touched on this. You you mentioned a few times the importance of socializing. You mentioned comedy clubs or joining different types of organizations and how important the people around you are. If somebody feels like they have toxic people around them, they don't feel like they have the right people around them, maybe they've outgrown them or their friends have outgrown them or or whatever, but they just don't feel like they have the right people, what are what should they be doing in order to nurture that network? Yeah, uh I think you're the expert on this one. I might Chris, be, but I still but I, want, I still want to ask you. <laughs> I will chime in and and it's something that I've helped people with if it does come up in a professional context, I'll definitely talk about it. But, uh, you know, I don't know. It's so funny because there's even research showing this and I love to be research based, but I love to also make it about personal experience. Now we all have that feeling like, Oh yeah, you're part of a group and everybody's so chill and, or, or really excited about something you're all doing. But then you got that one person that really drags the group down a lot. In fact, it feels like even though you're with, like, say, five or six or ten people, 
and you think, wow, synergistically, like we're all, our energies are all coming together and really bringing us higher. And then that one person comes in, it's like, why do they have such a powerful effect on bringing us down when there's so many people, there's there's 10, 10 of us, and this one person, why do we feel it so much? And they've even done like research showing this. And what I would say is, if it's a situation where you don't really need to be with the person and they're not, you're not necessarily with them because you're helping them, uh, which, you know, that's a whole other discussion. Should you, are you in a place to really help other people? You really got to help yourself first before you start uh, doing that. But let, if they're not a person who you're really trying to help and they're not family, um, you know, why are you spending time with them? Get rid of them. So many of us end up with friends because of geographical convenience. And that doesn't need to be that way. So get rid of those people. Get rid of the energy vampires, the, you know, the Debbie Downers, the, the negative people who every time you get excited about something, you bring something up and they're just like, oh, no, that's not going to work. No, I don't want to, you know, get rid of those people. And if you can't because they're your mom or your dad or your brother or sister or limit your contact with them until you're at a place where you're so strong and so resilient that what they do doesn't matter. It doesn't have as much of an effect. I mean, I think it always has an effect when you're around negative people, but uh, that's what I would say. And again, we're in a time where you can connect with people all over the globe. I've made through, through my podcast, I've made friends all around the country. In fact, when I came to Thailand, I already had people who I knew and I went and hung out and we deepened our friendship and we're just living in a time where you don't need to be stuck in your geographical location for friend making. You can look for people online. You can look for groups in your area uh, that are into what you're about. I mean, there are just so many options. Um, one of the things that I think is really important is uh, going to like retreats or seminars or to some of the things that you guys do at uh, Craft of Charisma. I mean, showing up to those types of events. I mean, I've done things like that. I've done them over and over. I've done oh man, just so many uh, training events for fitness and, and wellness. I've done it for uh, kind of the type of thing you guys do. They just, it matters so much. And you start to, when you're around people who are all working together and all have uh, something that you're working towards, it's just powerful. But you have to really get rid of the negative people or at least limit your con your contact with them if you're going to raise yourself up to that next level. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And sometimes these people are our friends. Sometimes they're our partners or they're our family, right? They're people who are constantly criticizing us. And usually it's they're working through their own issues, whether they know it or not, and projecting them onto the people around them. But if you find that you're in an environment where you have somebody in your life who is constantly criticizing you, they're picking you apart, it might be time to step away from them or create a little bit of separation or a lot of separation from them um, because it can be very detrimental whether you know it or not. It's accumulative. And I definitely have been in those situations over the course of my life and I've learned a lot from them. And I think, I think that's a really, 
important point because we're not always aware of the impact that somebody might be having on a group or uh, a relationship when they're constantly sort of picking you apart. So I think that's a really interesting, really interesting points that you made. The other thing that made me sort of laugh as you were talking is I'm going to bring this up on the podcast. It's sort of like a weird place to bring it up, but it made me think about the dynamics of coaching, right? And so a lot of people try to reach out to me on social media and people can reach out to me through Craft or Charisma. I don't know how you handle this, but for me, if it's a coaching advice type situation, people have very limited access to me. And the reason why is because one of the things I've learned is I have to give so much of myself when I'm coaching that if I had at a time when I gave people unlimited access, I would respond to every text, respond to every call. It was so emotionally draining that it started affecting other areas of my life and my health. Have you experienced that? For me, I've, I found that that's something that I have to balance. And so I'll coach a certain amount of hours a week, I have certain levels of access, but I generally don't really go beyond that because I need to be able to maintain my own, my own health, my own soul, my own sort of like state of being so that I can give all, all I can. Otherwise I deplete myself. Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. And, and I'll, uh, I'll even make it about the other person. You brought up some great points about how as coaches, we need to make sure we're a hundred percent or else we're not able to give a hundred percent. But the other side of that is that you, if you're someone who's seeking coaching, you do not want to become dependent on people. One of the things that I learned, uh, I spent the majority of my fitness career doing personal training and, uh, you know, working with, I, you know, I worked with the celebrities, but most of my clients were CEOs of, you know, big companies and they would become dependent on me. These guys would work out like, like they would get really pissed off if we could meet for whatever reason while they were in town. But while they were like on vacation in the summer, because in Miami Beach, everybody leaves in the summer, you know, nobody wants to be there during the hot months. While they were on vacation in Greece or the south of France or wherever they were around the world, they would never exercise. They would never exercise. And the, the thing is, if you're truly after, if you want to transform, if you want to raise yourself up to that next level, if you want to unlock your potential, you've got to become independent. You need a coach. I mean, you don't need a coach, but coaching can help you, can help take you much faster and farther than you can on your own. There's no doubt about it. You're not going to be as good. But the other side is that, uh, the other side of that is you don't want to have to live being dependent on, hey, I don't know what to say to this girl, or I don't know what exercise I'm supposed to do right now, or I don't, you know, you want to be independent. So, uh, yeah, it's not a good thing uh, to give people unlimited access to you for both you and for them. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I use myself as an example um, and sort of the coaching dynamic. But I think for the people who are listening to this, anyone who's interested in coaching, that's something that they're going to become aware of as they start to coach. But also, we generally are all coaching certain people in our life, right? We have mentor and mentee relationships throughout our life. And most of them, we're not paid to take on these roles. It might be our little brother or our, our dad or our uncle or niece or mother or friend or sister or coworker, but we constantly have these relationships. And what I'm getting at is like, it's important to sort of be aware of, of the balance because it doesn't have an effect on 
your health. The other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is I found that for people or if people want to get good at something, what are the most important components? And I've come up with a few of them. One of them is knowledge, right? Having the right information at the right time that's pertinent to them. Um, but it's, it's knowledge based, right? So that's one thing. The second thing that I've, I've come to realize if people want to pick up a new skill set or learn something and get good at it, that they generally need some form of structure, right? And so that structure is I'm going to do this for two hours a week on Tuesday and Thursday. And then there's some sort of accountability mechanism. I have an exam or a test or, or whatever, but there's some type of structure and the structure is sort of conducive to them getting to whatever outcome they want to get to. The third thing that I've realized that people need is some level of community. It's hard to do things in complete isolation. There's times where we're going to feel less motivated and the people in our community are going to help us feel more motivated. There's times where they're going to see things that we're doing wrong or could do better or things that are doing great and they're going to praise us and that's going to make motivate us. They'll pick us up when we're feeling down and and uh, share excitement when things are going going well, uh, share ideas. There's so many benefits to a community. I found that those are the three things that people really need if uh, they want to pe- pick up a new skill. And I realized that while I was speaking at Harvard, I had to. Uh, I was walking from over near the MIT campus to um, this building near Harvard Yard, and as I was walking uh, through Cambridge, I thought about this. And I said, "What makes these universities so great?" And I realized that. They had those three components, right? They had some of the best knowledge or information in the world. They had a structure that sort of helped people to learn and get to specific outcomes. They're trying to learn organic chemistry or calculus or uh, learn to write well. They've created a structure that that allows them to do that, a support structure, uh, a scheduled structure. The third thing they had is they had this community of people who are going through very similar sets of problems. Everybody in an organic chemistry class is trying to get good at organic chemistry. And so because people are starting a similar place and trying to reach a similar place, it works. When you're in a group of people and everybody's way better than you, they might get frustrated with you. And if everyone's way worse at you than something, you might get frustrated with them. And so finding those that group of people who have similar goals or similar place. And I found those are the only three things that people need, but most people have trouble producing those on their own. They have trouble figuring out what information's good, what's bad, what's pertinent to me, when should I learn it, how I should structure uh, my growth, how I should structure my schedule, how do I stay on structure. Uh, they have trouble trying to find the right community. And that's when you go out and you find a mentor, right? And the mentor's job, at least I, I think of my job at Craft or Charisma, our coach's job is to nurture these things, to find out what inf- information is most pertinent, what's most pertinent to the client, to set up that structure so that people know, for example, in our master class, they're coming once a week for eight weeks and we're going to work on X, Y, Z. And, and we've figured out the curriculum. We've created that community for them. And so what it does exactly, you said you said this earlier, is it basically it speeds up the learning process, right? And, and I'm curious if, if you find the, these things are consistent because it sounds very similar to the types of problems that you help your clients solve or are there other things that you sort of discovered that are also sort of essential to this this process of learning and development. Now, Chris, I, I think you hit it on the head, man. Uh, those are the three things that are the most important. If I could add anything to that, it would just be uh, a very important concept called the skills challenge ratio. And you kind of already touched on it um, where you said, well, if everybody's 
so much better than you, then you're going to be, uh, you know, holding the group back or nobody is as good as you, then you're not going to feel challenged. And the way to mastery, um, and, and this is a concept from Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, Mihai wrote a book called Flow, uh, Psychology of Optimal Performance. Um, more recently, uh, Stephen Kotler, uh, wrote a book called The Rise of Superman about the same phenomenon, the flow state. And the, the way to a faster path to mastery is the, what I should say is to really ride that line where you are just on the edge of your comfort zone, but you're not surpassing it to surpassing it too much will cause anxiety. And if you're not challenged enough, you're going to get bored and you're not going to experience any growth. So it's really about finding the edge and just pushing a little bit beyond that and constantly evaluating where you are. And this goes with any skill set, whether it's what you teach, uh, Chris, or whether it's what I teach or, you know, whether you're learning how to play guitar or to do European fencing. It's really about doing that self-assessment and measuring your progress, saying, okay, well, where am I right now? And what is that right amount of challenge for me? And this then consistently hitting it over and over and over again. That's the only thing that I would add. Do you track a lot of the stuff that you do with your clients? And if so, why and, and how does that affect your coaching? That's a great question. And yes, I track their, uh, I track a number of things. So we use an app where for my clients who are on workout programs, we use an app where they type in what weight they use, how many reps they got. So I can see instead of saying, Hey, how was your workout? Oh, yeah, it was pretty good. You know, I see when they hit new PRs, personal records. Uh, I see how many reps they do, how many sets they do. If they left a note there, uh, those are for my one on one coaching, but even in my group coaching, I still check out to make sure that everyone's on track. And in the context of exercise, you should be, unless you're at the peak of your, uh, or limit rather of your genetic potential, you should be making consistent improvement all the time. And if that's not happening, then I can very easily see like, okay, well, this is too much. This needs to be adjusted. Uh, another thing that I do with some, uh, with my one on one clients is we'll use some type of tracking software. It could be, uh, like a heart rate variability, um, to measure their, what's called their allostatic load. So how much stress their entire body is under. Um, and I can see like, Hey, you're redlining right now. You need to back off. Today, you skip that workout, you go for like that aerobic exercise, hop on a bike, get outside, go in nature, do something that's going to restore you uh, instead of take away from you. And I only use that with either athletes or with people who are uh, who approach their careers or businesses uh, like athletes where they'll because there's so many similarities. It's very kind of interesting between overtraining in sports and professional burnout. There's, there's so many similarities like, uh, you know, biochemically and, and it's, it's fascinating stuff. 
So with those people, I'll, I'll use something like the HRV, um, which again, just to measure stress to, to kind of guide them because I feel like when people are that type A type of person, like really going for it in life, they can't rely on their own feelings because they thrive on stress and adrenaline and coffee and little sleep and pushing forward. And that's also how you crash and burn. So you need something objective to say, hey, listen, you say you're feeling great, but you know, your resting heart rate is up, your heart rate variability is down, you're, you couldn't do as many sets as before in the gym. All the data is pointing to you're not doing well, right? Your sleep is less. I track sleep with a lot of clients who have sleep issues. So those are some of the things that, that I use to guide the process to make sure that we're not fooling ourselves by the stories we're telling or by going by quote unquote how we feel. We're, we're using data. And uh, I think that's so important. It's like you would never say, yeah, I really feel really good about my business. It's like, yeah, but are you making money? Where's the, you know, show me the numbers, right? That's what your accountant's going to ask for. And that's, that's what I try to do for my clients. That's awesome. I, I was thinking about a conversation I had with a client early in my coaching career. And I, I went and met him. He had a apartment very close to Central Park in New York City near the Met and the Guggenheim. And it's a very nice area. I walked in this building and uh, I was in awe a little bit. And I walk, I'm in his living room and I look at this picture and there's an old picture. And I was like, who's that? And it was his grandfather. And I won't say who it was, but he was the, the wealthiest man in the world. Or maybe it was a great grandfather. I can't remember, but he was the wealthiest man in the world. Everyone in this podcast would recognize him. But I remember during that conversation, he said something that was very profound. And he goes, look, he goes, because of my family, I have been around the, a lot of people who run New York City. They're some of the most powerful people in the world. And a lot of them are in some of the most unhealthy relationships. And I said, why do you think that is? And he said, it's because one of the reasons a lot of them are so successful is insecurity. They're constantly driven to do better because they think what they've done is not good enough. And when you have a personality where you're constantly driven to do better, you can overexert yourself and it's easy to do so. And so as you started to talk about the correlation between uh, overworking and overtraining, I thought about that guy and, and sort of what he said, because I think it's a great point. There's a lot of people who are listening to this who I think fall into that trap. I know I've done it many times in my life where I've been overworked or overexercised and it's important to balance. And, and I think that's a great, a very, very valid point that you wouldn't do that with a business It's or, or not a business that's successful, right? If somebody is an entrepreneur and they start to learn, as they start to learn more about business, they're forced to learn how to manage the numbers, right? How to quantify things. It's like businesses in my, my experience sort of have three phases. You have startup, I mean, every business is a little bit different, but generally businesses are either sort of startup, they're trying to find product market fit. Second, they're in some level of scale where after they figured out that there's a fit for the product in the market, they're in some type of scale. They're trying to, to grow up into some level of saturation. And in the third stage, people come in and they tighten things up, right? They sort of obsess sometimes to the business detriment with all the numbers and making everything quantitative. So it's not really 
it might not be instinctive for everyone who's listening, but if you were to start a business, eventually get to the point where you need to measure things. And so it's interesting to hear how you measure fitness. And, and you said that each time somebody goes in, there needs to be improvement. And so I'm curious, like, I guess if somebody's running, that would be every time they work out, every time they run, they're probably running either a little faster or a little longer, I'm assuming. And if somebody's in the weights, they're maybe doing more reps and, and, or doing an extra set or more weight. Like, what does that mean for you? Yeah, that's a, a really, really good point because you really always want to do more. And, um, so, uh, without getting too like into, uh, the boring exercise physiology details, uh, I would say, first of all, most of the time my clients are after something called health, right? Uh, and a lot of times that involves with the clientele that I work with losing body fat. So I am focused on the metrics of improvement with weights and sets and how many reps you did. Did you add some weight? And uh, we do push with that. Um, I don't necessarily push all around. So if, let's say I have someone on a fat loss diet. Let's say I also have that person in the gym working hard with weights and then I have them doing some aerobic exercise. So I'm not going to keep saying, Hey, let, let's cut your calories more. Let's get rid of more carbs. Let's try to lift more weight and let's try to run faster and further. It really has to do with, uh, the client, their goals, what, what I think they need at the time to help keep them going or to break through a plateau. Uh, so it's not all those things all the time, but let's say someone was very out of shape because, uh, out of shape with their cardiovascular fitness, because there's just a ton of big, strong guys walking around who, uh, would, you know, feel like they're about to have a heart attack if they walked up 10 flights of stairs. Uh, that, you know, that, that's the type of situation where great, you're strong, but you're highly, uh, unfit when it comes to your cardio rest, cardio respiratory fitness. So it really depends on the person. And I like to give a balance of things, especially with cardio respiratory fitness or aerobic or cardio, whatever you want to call it. It just, like I've uh, mentioned several times in, in our conversation already, it just has tremendous benefits that lifting weights just won't give you. And I love to lift weights. Don't love cardio. But it's just so powerful. In fact, uh, they've done studies where they looked at athletes and whether whether being an athlete had any effect on whether someone lived longer or not than your average Joe. And what they found was the ones who lived the longest were endurance athletes. They weren't the strength athletes. They weren't the badasses crushing skulls on the field or you know breaking bodies in football. It was the people who did uh, endurance sports, aerobic endurance sports, so not like sprint endurance sports, but aerobic endurance sports that lived the longest. And we're talking years here, up to like eight years longer. So what I'm getting at there is you really have to be specific in your goals. You have to know what you want. Also, another thing that I didn't mention is, you know, I, with some of the more clients who need some more uh, advanced testing, we do nutrient testing. Um not so much hormonal testing unless we really think it's necessary, but we, we test those things and 
um, we use all of that to dial things in and sometimes to answer your to, to land the plane and answer your question you want to maintain a certain level of fitness it, it becomes too much more of a risk to start adding more now um, you know that depends on how risk averse someone is and again what their goals are if they're wanting to run a marathon or compete in a powerlifting competition or do like I don't know a Muay Thai competition or whatever there's gonna have to be some more risks taken but there will be a point where you're just trying to kind of maintain your level of fitness so it's about building sustainable systems to improve overall health that's a great way to put it sustainable fitness yes it's awesome I'm running out of time, but this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a pleasure. Is there anything else you want to mention before we sort of wrap this up? Yeah, what I wanted to tell you, man, and we kind of got away from it, but what I want you to try, Chris, is take 15 grams of, get yourself some collagen protein for your hand. Take 15 grams of collagen protein an hour before you do any type of exercise uh, uh, and get some, I'm going to send you an email with some str hand strengthening, uh, tools that you can buy. Cause I want you to not necessarily get into CrossFit, but I want to, I want to hear from you like in a, a month or two that you're back doing pushups again. Yeah, that, I would love that. Yeah. Th this has been incredible, man. We're, we're going to put some links in the description of the podcast and on the craft Christmas website so people can find out more about you, but this has been absolutely incredible. Hopefully we can have you to come back on the show and talk more about some of these other things, but this has been awesome. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot, man. Uh, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun talking with you and uh, I learned a lot from you today as well. And, and I'd love to come back. Awesome, man. I will talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.